of because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. We all go a little mad sometimes. Who wants some? Who's next? All right, I'll go look. No, no, please don't leave me. What do we do? Why don't we just wait here for a little while? See what happens. Hello and welcome to a very special episode of After the Ending. Ooh, welcome <laughs> to After the Ending. <laughs> I think I think you can hear the excitement in our voices. Uh, I, I'm Mike Spring, for those of you who don't know. And I'm Phil Edwards. That's uh, spook, spooky Phil Edwards over there. And uh, Sorry, are, I, was on, uh, I was on like a, a board which was rocking. It made all my voice funny, but I'm off it now. <laughs> oh, I thought, thought maybe you just had the ghost filter on on your yeah, recording yeah. setup. The actor Turn that filter, filter off, filter. Phil. <laughs> We are uh, we're pretty jazzed about tonight's episode. It's our first ever, our first annual Halloween Spectacular, and it's an all-horror-themed episode. We have some really great uh, after-the-endings for you. We've got some cool mini-features, and uh, we've got just a really neat top ten. So I, I think this is going to be a pretty special episode. How are you feeling, Phil? Uh, I'm feeling scared, spooky, and <laughs> whoa. I love it. That's the spirit. No, No pun intended. And we have also got some interviews with some special people from Ash versus the Evil Dead. Yes, very excited about that as well. It should be a lot of fun for everyone. So maybe a slightly longer episode than than usual, but but I think it's going to be worth it. So so stick around till the end. Yeah, and hopefully I will stop raising my voice at the end of every sentence. <laughs> By the time we get to the end, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure the listeners would appreciate that. Oh, will they? We'll have to wait. Until... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can take a hint. Try the fish. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> a little callback for the long-time yeah. listeners there. <laughs> well, here, well, we... If you don't get the joke, go back and listen to the old episodes, and then you yes, will. Yes, because this is our 31st episode. That's right. Oh, I you know I wanted to mention that for the numerologists out there, because I'm, I'm not a numerologist, but like, but I kind of like like cool coincidences. So this is our 31st episode, yeah. and it's our Halloween episode. <gasps> and Halloween is on October 31st, <gasps> and 31 is 13 backwards, and everyone knows 13 is an unlucky number. So I feel like this being our 31st episode and being our Halloween episode is pretty darn cool. Yeah, And if you are a regular listener, you know we planned this really out from the very beginning. That's right. Yeah. That's right. We got the whole thing mapped out. Yeah, because we've, we, we've planned every episode, what films, what years, what many features. We've got it going up to like episode 500. Without oh, yeah. far ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a journey. <laughs> it's a journey you have to come up with this for. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, Phil, why don't you tell people what we have in store for them in this spooktacular episode? Yes, I'm glad you asked. We will be doing uh, after the endings for Mama Mia and Dirty Dancing. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We did promise horror-themed yeah. episodes. So. For some people, they are horror. Yeah. Well, I'll, 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 I won't. Uh, Dirty Dancing, I like. But we'll yeah, say, I, I like uh, Dirty we'll, Dancing as well. I'll you know. that. All right, so no, really, what okay. films are we doing today? Yes, okay. Yes, we're going to be going after the ending of The Cabin in the Woods from 2012 and also the original Carrie, obviously not the remake. We're talking about the 1976 version by Brian De Palma. In addition to that, we have a horror-themed mini-feature, which we think will be a lot of fun. We have the aforementioned interviews with the cast of Ash vs. the Evil Dead. That includes such luminaries as Bruce Campbell, Lucy Lawless, Lee Majors, 
and a bunch of other cool people. And for our top 10 films, we're going to do the top 10 horror films of the 1980s. We're going to span a whole decade, and we're going to talk about some really great and some terrible and some terribly great films. So many, so many good films. Yes. And as you say, so many terrible films as well from the 1980s. very many. Exactly. So, uh, all right. Well, why don't we we, uh, stop keeping people in suspense, Phil, and we'll jump right into our first ending. I think we're going to start off with Cabin in the Woods. Do you want to take it away? Yes, uh, 2012's The Cabin in the Woods. I was hoping to do a nice short synopsis for this one, but there's quite a lot going on. It's, uh, it should, well, it's a good film. Funny film, scary film. Um, you know but- what? I'm sorry. I'm going to interrupt you right there. Before you give the synopsis, I want to warn our viewers, listeners, what, readers, whatever you want to call them, anybody <laughs> who's into this podcast, yeah. if you haven't seen Cabin in the Woods yet, this is one I highly recommend that you pause the podcast on and come back to it once you've watched Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Uh, because A, it's an excellent film. It's really funny and scary and clever um, and witty, but it's it's so much different from what you think it's going to be. And we're going to spoil all of the surprises for you right right now in the synopsis. So so pause the episode or skip ahead to Carrie. Go watch the film. It's really fun. You'll have a great time with it. And then and then come back and listen to this part. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Carry on, Phil. Okay, yeah. It's directed by Drew Goddard and produced by Joss Whedon. And the pair of them also wrote it. Uh, you'll know Joss Whedon from a few little films and TV shows. I won't go into them, though. You can look it up. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it follows a group of college kids who go to a cabin in the woods. Stuff happens in the end. <laughs> I think that sums it up. Yeah, that's a... spoiler-free at least, though, yes, Phil. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so there's uh, all-American college students. There's Dana, played by Kristen Connolly. Holden, played by Jesse Williams. Marty, by the always excellent Frank Kranz. Jules, played by Anna Hutchinson. And Kurt, played by Chris Hemsworth, who you'll know from uh, Thor. Yeah. Yeah, and there's... Big arms and God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Flowing locks and his yeah. eyes you could stare into for a thousand I, years. I always need to go and, I always feel like I need to go and work out, you know, because he puts, puts every man to shame, really, doesn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. But anyway, this was before he got all buff, so, you know, we can, it's okay to watch. Right. Right here, he's just like a nine, you know, he's yeah, not a ten yeah, yet, like he yeah. is in, in, the, in the Thor movies. So. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit, you know, a bit more believable. Right, right. <laughs> Okay, unbeknownst to them, they are being monitored by two technicians, played by Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, who, along with everybody else, are absolutely brilliant in this film. Yeah, these technicians are sat in a high-tech underground facility, and they're just shooting a breeze and talking about things and talking about the kids in the cabins, and also watching videos of uh, other kids based around the world, like Japanese school kids and things like that, and they keep talking about a ritual, and it's all a bit weird. They end up uh, manipulating the, the teens by introducing drugs and certain things into the air in the woods that affect the way the kids think and also increases the kids libido the teens explore the cabin and they go into the basement which is full of weird objects you know recordings uh crosses all sorts of weird all the kind of stuff you've seen in lots of different horror movies one of them picks up a diary and reads from it which uh, ends up summoning a bunch of zombies who attack the kids and end up killing jewels one of the uh, the college students, Marty Frank Kranz, he's the pot smoker of the group because there's always one in these films. He finds hidden cameras in the cabin and around the uh, in the woods and everywhere outside, just before he's dragged off by the zombies and it looks like he's died. Oh, has he? Dun dun dun! Yeah, the technicians uh, below talk about similar rituals, uh, which apparently have all failed. Uh, we're still not sure what exactly the rituals are for, but you see kids being attacked by other monsters and it's all very strange. Turns out that the US ritual is humanity's last hope. 
but the kids back in the cabin they keep trying to escape and they you know they're not sure what's going on so the kids are trying to escape Kirk gets on a motorbike and goes racing away and he jumps a ravine only to hit an invisible force field and he dies so it gets weirder so you, you're not sure i remember watching this first time and going what the heck's going on it's all sci-fi torrent what's happening dana is attacked by the zombies and the technicians down below celebrate because they think the ritual is about to succeed however due to the marijuana that uh, he'd been smoking marty turns up he wasn't dead he rescues dana and they enter the facility in there they see a whole heap of monsters loads of really good monsters loads of good creature effects in this one uh, they end up getting chased and cornered by security guards but to escape from them dana and marty release the monsters who kill most of the staff Going further into the facility, Dana and Marty find an old temple, and there they are approached by the director, played by Sigourney Weaver, and she explains that these rituals take place every year to appease the, the Ancient Ones. The ritual keeps the Ancient Ones in perpetual sleep, and the rituals take different forms around the world, uh, usually in the, the most popular horror film, horror story for that culture, and that's the reason why we have the horror films we do today. Uh, in the US, it takes the killing of five young people, embodying five archetypes, the whore, the athlete, the scholar, the fool and the virgin. The whore has to die first and the virgin last. The director tells Dana to shoot Marty to complete the ritual and save humanity. However, a werewolf attacks Dana, a zombie kills the director, and Dana and Marty decide humanity is not worth saving. They smoke a joint as an ancient one awakes and we see a giant hand emerge and destroy the cabin and the facility. And it appears that the world is doomed and the end very nicely done it is a complicated movie like you said yeah there's lots going on there's, yeah. there's so much more to the film as well than a, that's just the broad strokes right right but i think so, you covered it well thank you very much but yeah so you watch the end of the film there's no way you could possibly have an ending after that or is there <laughs> but as uh regular listeners will know we like a challenge because uh, back in episode 25 we did and after the endings for Melancholia and Thelma and Louise. So, you know, I think we're going to do it. Yeah, if we can do endings for those movies, we can we can do it for anything. Okay, then do you want to give us your day after? Sure thing. So, Dana and Marty smoke while the Ancient One rises from the ground. It doesn't seem to stop going. It just grows bigger and bigger. Eventually, it reaches the size of a skyscraper. Marty just shrugs and laughs, but Dana, despite everything she's been through, still has a hard time coming to grips with humanity coming to an end. As the Ancient One rampages, she screams, Stop! And it does. It turns out that humans had misunderstood the whole deal, and by slaughtering teenagers every year, they were actually keeping the Ancient One imprisoned, not appeased. By freeing him, Dana is now its master, and he has to do her bidding. <laughs> Dana and Marty look at each other and start laughing. She orders the Ancient One to have a seat, and he does, flattening everything around him as he does so. And that's the where we'll leave it for now. Okay, I need to make uh, listeners aware that neither Mike or myself know what the other one oh. has done for the that, That's uh, always the a clue that we, are, uh, yeah. we tapped into the same sort of thing. Yeah. All right. Well, let's hear what you got. We never know. We don't discuss the endings beforehand, and it's right. always a surprise to each other. But there are some similarities. All right. <laughs> uh, okay. Dana and Marty wake up. They're not dead, and they're still lying in the temple. Marty looks down and sees the last of the joint in his hand, lights it up, and starts smoking it. He looks around. Everything is in ruins. He turns to Dana, who is staring high above them. She is looking at the giant ancient one that towers above. Sweet Cthulhu, mutters Marty. Ah, you know my name. An alien voice speaks directly into Marty and Dana's brain. Realising it has not killed them, and that they've not gone crazy, Dana and Marty tentatively ask what's going on. Cthulhu explains that he and the other ancient ones have no evil intent. They'd come to Earth millennia ago to protect Earth from a truly evil menace. 
they discovered that Earth was going to be a nexus uh, for the evolution of life in the universe, but it was uh, all going to be wiped out. So they came along and protected Earth from the evil menace, but in the final battle where they won, uh, a failsafe device trapped them, and the disciples of the evil ones kept them in stasis and trapped uh, by using these rituals. And they also spread rumours that the Ancient Ones were truly evil. Marty looks at Dana and lights another joint. <laughs> and that's, uh, that's my day after. All right. So some similarities, but I mean, but pretty different, I think, you know, in <laughs> yeah. terms of the, the how we get there. So yeah, yeah. Very cool. I like that, though. OK, thank you. And what about your immediate aftermath? All right. Well, after the ridiculous nature of their situation passes, Dana starts to realize that she has no idea what to do with a giant being of pure power. <laughs> Marty suggests naming him Clifford the Big Red God, which she likes, and it turns out to be fairly apt as the <laughs> Clifford ancient the Big Red God. Yeah, you like that? <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't resist. That's good. Uh, uh, it turns out to be fairly apt, as the Ancient One is not unlike a giant puppy. He just wants to please Dana, and as they're sitting there, he keeps nuzzling her, which knocks her completely over. Still disgusted by humanity in general, she decides to take action. A few days later, Clifford emerges from the woods and marches to the waters at the base of New York City. Towering over the Statue of Liberty, Clifford announces to humanity that he is the devil <laughs> and that he's finally come to Earth to bring about the apocalypse. The only way for the entire world to avoid going to hell is if everyone on the planet begins to immediately change their ways and become good people. Immediately, crime disappears almost instantly. Even the worst people in the world are terrified at the sight of this hundred-story-tall monster just standing in the waters of New York Bay, ever vigilant over humanity. Overnight, the world is a changed place. And that's my immediate aftermath. Yeah, I like, I like the way monsters can change, the way people mm. think. Yeah, it's interesting, yeah. right? I think the world needs more giant monsters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> maybe. You never know how that's going to work out, really. Yeah, as long as nobody gets hurt. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I've seen Jurassic Park. I know the flaws. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> So how about your immediate aftermath then? Okay, many died when the Ancient Ones were released around the world, but their tale about the Evil Ones was telepathically told to the rest of humanity, along with the images of the Great War from millennia ago. Dana and Marty, being the last survivors of the ritual, become de facto re representatives of the Ancient Ones. Cthulhu and the other great creatures help rebuild the damage they have caused. They also share their ancient technology with humanity. They take up residence on the moon and also head to Mars, and pl which they plan to terraform to make it habitable for mankind. Cthulhu tells Dana and Marty that the evil ones are returning. When the rituals fail, the evil ones noticed and they are now speeding towards Earth, although it'll be quite a while till they get there. Cthulhu apologises for bringing more peril to mankind, but now it is time to prepare. And that's my immediate aftermath. Hmm, ominous. Yes. Alright, we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Okay, so what happens then with your long term and the big, uh, the big giant beastie? All right, well, with crime completely absent from the world, the armed forces, police, and emergency responders find themselves mostly out of work. While illnesses still need to be treated, the number of traumatic injuries and victims of violent crimes are so reduced that hospital staffs are cut and doctors start to lose patients. Smoking and drinking start to increase, and the world's economy is thrown out of whack as the revelation of the devil has changed the world as we know it. Churches are overrun with new parishioners, and the world's culture begins to shift as well. Dana starts to think that maybe she made a mistake in revealing Clifford's <laughs> existence to the world. She realizes that the world functioning ably was the result of a very delicate balance between people, nature, religion, and commerce. As the world's economy begins to catastrophically crumble, people begin to riot as food shortages become commonplace. 
cities burn, and Dana and Marty eventually realize that inadvertently they have ultimately and accidentally fulfilled the ancient prophecy that the release of the ancient ones would bring about the end of the world. And that's my ending. Yep. So, see? So even though they thought they saved the world, they still brought about the end of the world. One way or another, the world always ends. That's, you can never trust a giant monster. I take back what I said before. <laughs> well, he didn't do it really. It was you sure know, he just stood there. He just stood there, but yeah. you know, it threw the world out. Of, it, it threw the world out of whack, and you know, there's no coming back. That's it. So, well, I think lesson learned there. There, yeah. Now we know. <laughs> now we know for next time. Yeah. All right, so Phil, let's wrap it up then. Tell us about your long term. Okay. In the intervening years, while they wait for the evil ones to appear, humanity have prepared using the ancient one's technology they built space-based defenses and large techno-organic mechs which are about the same size as the ancient ones cthulhu and his colleagues have finished terraforming mars and a human colony has started the ancient ones have also started sending out seed pods to distant planets they want to terraform more planets around the universe so humanity has more chances to survive dana and marty go over the final preparations with cthulhu they've known him long enough to realize he is nervous about the coming battle so seeing like a huge giant ancient super god makes them nervous as well Asking him about it, Cthulhu apologises. It's been a long time since we last battled, he explains. He pauses and looks to the sky. They're here. Mankind's final battle begins. Oh, I like it. Thank you. I like that. Nice uh, nice way to leave it, you know, kind of open for... For the third film. Right, exactly, yeah. exactly. I like a little Pacific Rim kind of thing yeah. going on there, yeah. too. Very nice. But I, I just like the fact, you know, because the film, they were talking about this ritual to keep these things there, and you just... We just told that this that they're evil. All these years, all the books like Lovecraft and everything saying they're evil. But what have we misinformed? That's what I thought the same thing. See, mm-hmm. great minds think alike. Clearly, exactly. All right. But, well, yeah, there that's you go. So, cabin in the woods. That's cabin in the woods. So, why don't you tell us about uh, any uh, trivia in the woods you might have found? Trivia in the woods. Okay. Well, uh, Marty's character he has this uh, coffee mug which transforms into a bong. It's quite a funny moment. But it's uh, in the film. It was fully functional. And the prototype cost $5,000 to make. Good Lord. I know. And then Mar- uh, during the lake scene, the only student not to jump in was again was Marty, played by Frank Kranz. He remains fully clothed on the dock. And the reason for that was because uh, Frank Kranz was in really good shape along with the other blokes in the film. And they didn't want to, they, they felt like if he'd like stripped off and jumped in and showed he was all like muscly and everything, it would have taken away from his character, wouldn't have fitted the character, huh, which you understand. Yeah, it's interesting. But yeah, I know it's these things you've got to think of when you're making a film. Right. Uh, Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard wrote the screenplay in three days. Hmm. They, hold, they hold up in a hotel room and just... Must be hard being that talented. I know, yeah. But it was, uh, it took a long time between writing it to it actually make the big screen. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was considered to play the part of the director. Oh, that would have been fun. But I like Sigourney yeah, Weaver, too. Yeah, both of them would have worked for me. Uh, during an early screening, Drew Goddard was asked, will there be a sequel? And he responded, have you seen the ending to my movie? Well, Drew Goddard. <laughs> That's right. Uh, as you've heard, yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> I see your ending, Drew, and I, and I yeah. raise you one. Yeah, so if <laughs> that had been your response, if we'd asked that question, we would have gone, yeah, we've seen it. And there you go. <laughs> Sorry, Drew and Joss. That's right. We know you don't mind. Nope, nope, definitely not. But yeah, well worth watching. There's loads loads of Easter eggs. All the monsters and all the knickknacks in the cabin will just harken back to every every horror film you've seen. And pretty much, you could watch Cabin in the Woods and, and every other horror film out there could sort of be fitted in to what's going on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That's what's so great about it. Yeah. But there you go. That's uh, 
The Cabin in the Woods. All right. Very nice. Like I said, excellent movie. If you haven't seen it, definitely check it out. But for now then, why don't we move on to our next movie, which is, of course, Carrie. Another excellent film. Which is just a, 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 just a sweet little film about a teenage girl. Yeah. And her mom who loves her. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> it always gets me, though, as a Piper Laurie plays a mom. Yeah. She, thought, she thought she was making a, a black comedy. Yeah, yeah, I've I've heard that. And I've, yeah. I've actually heard her talk about that in interviews. It's very interesting, but it works. It works for the film. Oh, yeah, yeah, it really does. All right, so uh, why don't we jump into things then? Yeah, let's do it. Carrie from 1976, directed by Brian De Palma, starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, John Travolta, Nancy Allen, Amy Irving, and William Catt. So, you know, much like you, I thought this was going to be an easy one, like high school girl, telekinetic powers, she kills a bunch of people. But there's actually more to the story than I thought in order to explain it. It is, yeah. You, you think you think it is a, like a slight story, but well, obviously it's based on a Stephen King one, so it's not going right. to be that slight. Right, but, yeah. right. Oh, and one other thing as well. This is, uh, I always remember when I was a kid, uh, my mum and dad were watching this. I was, I was too young to watch it, but then uh, my mum didn't like it, so she, uh, she went and did something. And then I was upstairs in bed, and then suddenly uh, when it when it ended, you just heard all the lights getting switched off and my dad flew up the stairs because the, the ending scared the pants off him. <laughs> sure, sure, I can believe it. <laughs> uh, the other thing I should point out is that technically there is a sequel of sorts to this film called Carrie 2. Oh, no, just Carrie 2, The Rage, uh, which came out in, oh, yeah, I want to say, the yeah. 90s, about 20 years after the first film. And the only real tie to it is that it has, I believe, Amy Irving is actually in it. So technically we're breaking our no sequels rule, but I feel like when you make a movie like that 20 years later, it's not a true sequel. It's more of just a cash. And it was basically the same story as Carrie just told over again and they called it Carrie too. So we're not counting that. So we're, we're just going to give our endings following up on the first classic film. We make the rules. We can bend them. That's right. And in this case, break them. That's right. (laughs) With our telekinetic powers. (laughs) So Carrie White, played by Sissy Spacek, is a high school girl who's very sheltered and shy and awkward, and as a result, gets bullied a lot. One day during gym class, as she's taking her shower after class, she gets her period, and not knowing what's happening, she pleads for help from the other girls, who instead of helping her, choose to torment her. As they're taunting her, a light bulb above them all explodes. Mm. This is the first of many small glimpses we get that reveal that Carrie has telekinesis. When she gets home, we learn that Carrie is so sheltered because her mother, Margaret, played by Piper Laurie, is ultra, ultra, ultra religious (laughs) and tries to shelter Carrie from... I think you missed an ultra... Everything. Yeah, exactly. Uh, She's basically denying her a life because she's trying to shelter her from the entire world. Uh, Carrie's classmate, Sue, played by Amy Irving, feels guilty about the uh, scene in the gym and gets her boyfriend, Tommy, played by William Catt, to ask Carrie to the prom. Another girl, Chris, played by Nancy Allen, is banned from the prom for bullying Carrie, and she enlists her boyfriend, Billy, that would be one John Travolta, to prank Carrie at the prom. When Carrie's mom learns that Carrie's going to the prom, she tries to lock Carrie in her closet slash basement-y thingy once again, but Carrie uses her powers to stand up to her mom and go to prom. At prom, Carrie and Tommy, who's genuinely enjoying being with Carrie, are crowned prom king and queen. As they stand on stage, Chris and Billy dump a bucket of pig's blood on Carrie. And that's when stuff gets real. <laughs> the, uh, the bucket falls on Tommy's head and knocks him out. And Carrie goes crazy and uses her powers to lock the kids in the gym, attack them with a fire hose, and injure or kill several of them. The gym catches on fire, and Carrie leaves everyone trapped inside. Outside, Chris and Billy try to run Carrie down in their car, but she flips it with her powers and it explodes. When she gets home, her mom reveals that she didn't want to have sex with her husband, but he forced her to, and Carrie was the result of that union. 
She stabs Carrie in the back, and Carrie uses her powers to crucify her mom on kitchen utensils. Then Carrie freaks out and causes the entire house to crumble in on them and sink into the ground. The film ends with Sue visiting Carrie's makeshift grave at her house when a bloody arm reaches out of the ground and grabs her, and Sue wakes up screaming, futilely being comforted by her mother. Mm. And that is Carrie. Very well done. Thank you. So, Phil, take us through your day after. Okay, Sue manages to calm down, but the nightmare really shook her. She'd been seeing a a counsellor after the event at the prom. She still can't process what actually happened. The whole town is still in mourning after the tragedy at the school, but it's been put down to a gas explosion. Sue finds she's always been, also been suffering with painful headaches. It's a fact she keeps to herself, and that's my day after. Hmm. Now, if I know you, Phil, mm-hmm. and I think I do, <laughs> that may pay off with some dividends in a future segment of your ending, I'm guessing. Oh, yeah, the headaches. Oh, I didn't think of that. For, oh, no. <laughs> right. You could have done so much with that, right? Oh, yeah. You just don't go to a fun fair and have a great time. Oh. <laughs> next time. Next time. Yeah. Okay. What about your day after? All right. Well, Sue continues to have nightmares. Even though her family leaves Maine and relocates to California, she still wakes up every night screaming. She's convinced that Carrie is coming to get her revenge on her. Sue misses most of the rest of the school year and has to repeat the grade at school the next fall. She starts school but remains quiet and shaky and awkward, and the other girls at school generally ignore her, but occasionally they do tease her and bully her, just like the girls used to do to Carrie. Sue begins drinking heavily to cope with the stress, and one night, after a drunken stupor at a party, she finds herself pregnant. Unsure of who the father even is, Sue carries the child to term and graduates high school while pregnant. However, being pregnant changes her. She feels like she now has a new reason to live, so she stops drinking, gets her life in order, and begins to allow herself to heal. And that's my day after. Oh, okay. Where's that going to go? We'll find mm, out. Okay. All right. How about your immediate aftermath? Okay. With these with these headaches that you know have nothing to do with anything, I'm sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sue has not had a proper night's sleep in weeks. She keeps having the same nightmare, but it gets worse every time. Sometimes she's pulled into the grave, other times Carrie climbs out and kills her. The headaches are getting worse. Unbeknownst to Sue, her family and counsellor have also started having the same nightmare. Mm. One day Sue has a nightmare, but when it stops she realises she'd been awake the whole time and she'd been walking in the park. And that's uh, my immediate aftermath. All right, all right. Well, I I still don't see how any of this is going to tie together, I guess, but... I'm yeah, sure no, it's all, sure all going to be a nice, happy ending. Right. It seems that way, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, what about, uh, what about your immediate aftermath? All right, well, after high school, Sue gives birth to a baby girl who she names Ellen after her grandmother. She gets a job as a medical transcriber, which allows her to work from home so she can take care of her baby and support herself. She still has occasional nightmares, but they're much less intense than they had been. She throws herself into raising Ellen, and she teaches her to be strong and independent so she'll never get bullied, but also to be kind and caring so she never bullies other girls. Life goes on, and Sue is content. Meanwhile, back in Sue's hometown, a group of young kids ride up to the Carey house. I was going to say the White House, because, you know, the last name was White, but <laughs> yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. funny when you say it, so. <laughs> so it's the Carey house. It's become something of a local legend, and kids dare each other to touch Carey's grave and things like that. But this time, when they ride up, they realize that the ground where Carrie's grave used to be has been disturbed. Uh, It looks like something has been removed from the ground. Oh, what could it be? It was some trash (laughs) that people left there. They just just picked it up. It really wasn't all that different. (laughs) Yeah. The end. It was just really The end. Yeah. 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 That's all. I like to build things up and then just let them fall flat. Damn like gentrification. (laughs) All right, Phil. Let's uh, let's see how this all ties together then. Go ahead and give us your long term. Okay, Sue takes some uh, some paracetamol 
and she's cured and she sleeps fine. That's it. <laughs> We're anticlimactic today. This is yeah. our, these are our no, enemies. Are just, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, now, Sue kept having the waking nightmares of Carrie attacking her. Kept going on and on and on. And it reached a point where she, she had to be committed as they were happening all the time. Her friends and family eventually suffered the same fate as does everyone who's been near them. The waking nightmares spread slowly around the world. People are driven mad or commit suicide to stop them. Work on a cure stopped when the doctors and scientists working on it were also struck down by the nightmares. Two years after the prom night, the entire world's population has been hit by the nightmares. There is no cure. There is no hope. Hmm. Wow. Dark. That's, that's my long term. So, so both of us kind of, you know, I ended Cabin in the Woods with sort of an end of the world scenario. And now you ended Carrie with a, a sort of end of the world scenario. I like it. Yeah, well, my cabin in the woods was a bit too uh, upbeat, I thought. Right, so we can't have that, you know. Yeah, you know we yeah. don't get out of control. Because it's here. the horror Halloween That's special. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll, I'll probably maybe bring things up a little bit. How's that sound? Go on now. Okay. Bring us home. Sue meets a young man named John Ripley, and over the next few years, they fall in love and get married, and the three of them become a real family. Oh. Sue finally begins to feel like life is returning to normal, and the nightmares are starting to fade from her memory. She doesn't even take notice of a series of events that are making the national news. A gas station mysteriously explodes in Massachusetts. A ferry boat mysteriously capsizes in Michigan. A supermarket roof collapses in Kansas. A high school walls collapse in Colorado. One night, after Carrie puts Ellen to bed and while John is working late, Sue is startled by a noise in the kitchen. She investigates and finds Carrie standing there, surrounded by several knives hovering in the air. Before Sue can even speak, Carrie impales her shoulder into the door with a flying knife. Sue cries out in pain and tries to explain to Carrie that she tried to help her, but Carrie is like a primal beast beyond reason. Just as she's about to kill Sue, little five-year-old Ellen Ripley storms into the kitchen and says, Get away from her, you bitch. <laughs> awesome. See how I put that all together? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Carrie, shocked to see that Sue has a child, is shaken from her fugue state. Realizing that she doesn't want Sue's child to grow up scarred and damaged like she was, she whispers, I'm sorry, and turns and flees. Sue unimpales herself, gets her and Ellen to the hospital, and makes up a story for the police and her husband about a home invasion. Somehow, Sue knows she will never see Carrie again, and she's able to resume a normal life. She raises Ellen to be an extraordinary woman, just the first in a long line of powerful women in the Ripley family, all of whom will be named Ellen. <laughs> and that's the end. Oh, excellent. I like that. Thank you. That was I, I like that. It was good. Although although Sue needs to be, you know, if, uh, if, her, if her daughter's got a potty mouth like that, uh, <laughs> she needs to really look at what she's doing. Yeah, well, yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, <laughs> she should really, you know, we kind of just watch the language around the house maybe. But, yeah, yeah. But it it worked in this in this case, so. Oh, very good. All right. So, uh, well, that's that's Carrie. Both uh, our endings a little a little different there, but I like them both. So, uh, yeah, yeah. All right, Phil. Why don't you go ahead and uh, share any trivia you have found for us about Carrie? Okay, it was the first Stephen King novel to be adapted into a movie. Uh, Nancy Allen and Piper Laurie both thought that they were involved in some sort of black comedy. Nancy Allen thought her character was so ba so nasty that she was comic relief, and Piper Laurie thought that you know it was a broad black comedy. Sissy Spacek studied the body language of people being stoned for their sins and started or ended every scene in one of those positions that she'd been studying. Hmm, interesting. Which uh be interesting to watch back and, you know, look at how she's, you know, she's standing or, you know, for each one. The name of the school is called Bates High, which was referenced to Psycho. And yep. the four-note violin theme from Psycho is used throughout the film. The prom scene which is like the big you know, big crescendo. Yep. It took over two weeks to shoot. The ring that Amy Irving is wearing throughout the film was a gift she got from Stephen King. Huh. 
And actresses who could have been Carrie were Linda Blair, Glenn Close, Sandra Locke, Jill Clayburgh, Farrah Fawcett and Melanie Griffith. Um, Sissy Spacek, she was 26 at the time of filming. And also she was such a pro, she uh, she insisted that she'd have to be the one whose hand came out of the grave. So uh, they buried, they put her in, you know, under the ground and she put her hand up. So that's wow. her hand at the very end. That's dedication. It certainly is, yeah. But that's Carrie. Very good. How do you feel about Carrie? Phil, you a fan? Yeah, I, I always like the film. Yeah, uh, I do too. It's, it's interesting though. There's definitely yeah, some things. I watched it just recently and here's a few things I noticed. First of all, the opening credits, I think the entire thing is done over this slow motion dolly shot through the girls' locker room as they're showering. Yeah. Which is a little bit creepy. <laughs> Um, yeah. I know Brian De Palma, that's sort of his thing, you know, but it's like... You watch yeah, it's all the voyeur yeah, like, kind of thing, isn't it? Wow, it's really long. Like, it is a lot of slow motion naked girls, which I guess will sound appealing to some people, but it's just, I don't know, it was interesting. Mm. Uh, the other thing I thought was interesting was how many people get slapped in this movie. Most of them are inappropriately. Like, the gym teacher slaps at least two of her students, which oh, yeah, she, nowadays yeah. would obviously get her fired in about, you know, a hot minute. Yeah. Uh, and then John Travolta slaps his girlfriend in the face three different times. And I was like, let's slow down with the slapping people here. It's a bit much. He slaps looks, her in the face three times. God, God. Looks like 19... I was like, why, why are you staying with it? And after one time, then she gets all mad at him, and then they end up making out in the car, and you're like, you guys need to seriously address your relationship. Yeah, it's... it's uh, he should have he taken up a bit of disco dancing. <laughs> Probably would have helped him. But I will say, I, I do think... It's interesting, because it's interesting, too. The beginning, you get some of this, the, you know, this telekinesis stuff, and then the, the whole like middle hour of the film is like almost like a high school teen drama, you know? Yeah, you, you're right. Yeah, it's a lot... Most of the film is just yeah, but, the kids and a bit with Carrie and her mom. Right. Which is the weirdest part of it. But, then you get to that yeah. ending, man. That prom ending, when, when once the blood falls and it all goes into the silent, completely silent slow motion. Oh, my God, it's so intense, and it's it's brilliant. I think that, that last 20 minutes of the movie is just amazing masterpiece oh definitely yeah but i was talking about the slapping i've just just found this bit brian de palmer he wanted betty buckley to really slap nancy allen but because allen couldn't get the reaction de palmer wanted buckley ended up slapping her about 30 times oh, for that one scene oh man well like i said a lot of slapping and nancy allen got most of it so yeah jeez <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. So that is uh, Carrie and, and The Cabin in the Woods. Those are our endings, and hopefully you enjoyed them. And uh, let's move on then to our Mighty Morphing mini feature for the week. Phil, why don't you tell people what we are going to be doing for them now? Yes, this Mighty Morphing mini feature is entitled One Word of Doom. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, dun. One Word of Doom. <laughs> and basically what that means is we're going to take, we're going to add a word or maybe change one, but mainly add a word to an existing non-horror title, film title, uh, and add a word to it so it becomes a horror movie. Yes, yes. I think we had a lot of fun with this one. So Yes, yes. And it was actually trickier than I thought. Yeah, yeah. It took some yeah. work, but I, I think I, I, like, I like what we've come up with, I think. At least what I've come up with. I haven't heard yours yet, obviously, so this should be fun. Yeah, I, li I like some of mine. Some of mine, I think, are a little bit lame. Yeah, well, we'll see. Or maybe I'm just saying that so people go, they're not lame, Phil. You're a genius. <laughs> Well, you know what? If they're lame, Phil, I will tease you relentlessly until you lash out at me with your latent telekinetic powers. How's that? Sound? Shut up, Mike. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> All right. So you wanted to kick things off? Or you want me to kick things off? Uh, you kick. You, you go first. Go on. All right. Well, I went a little old school style for my first one, and I went simple. It simply is Jerry Maguire lives. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> Who's coming with me? <laughs> to the other side yeah. of life. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the mummy. Show me the mummy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Okay. Well, what do you okay. got? 
Mine is Dirty Dancing Death. Nice. I like it. All right. Next up, I have Valley of the Chucky Dolls. And, of course, you could have your sequel, Beyond the Valley of the Chucky Dolls. (laughs) Nice. Okay. Uh, Bridget Jones's Diary of the Dead. Ah, There you go. Very nice. I like Mm -hmm. it. All right. How about Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Undead? (laughs) Nice. (laughs) I like that one. Uh, Singing in the Acid Rain. Oh, nice. I like that. That's awesome. That that (laughs) would be a horror movie. Yeah. All right, well, I'm going to go a little literary for my next one. As we all know, I'm a big fan of all things Frankenstein, so uh, I thought this would make for a good one. There's something about Mary Shelley. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Okay. Uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doomsday. Nice. I like it. (laughs) How about uh, another simple one? Not Home Alone. Not Home Alone. Mm Oh. Right? A little kind of like the don't pick up the phone, you know, kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, this one I've got to 12 Angry Omen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I love that. 12 Angry <laughs> Omen. That's great. Oh, that's terrific. All right. Well, here's one for the Disney fans. We all know I'm a Disney fan. So how about Frying Nemo? Frying Nemo. Oh, it's dark. Though. You can't fry Nemo. <laughs> I hope no kids are listening. Yeah. Uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind Slayer. Nice. <laughs> how about the uh, the Werewolf of Wall Street? Oh, excellent. Hey, that'd be a good sequel to Malcolm. Yeah, right? Yeah, Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio, yeah. like a teen wolf yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Bill and Ted Bundy's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's, I think that's my favorite so far. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, next I have Fifty Shades of Grey Matter. Oh, lovely. Thank you. I like it. Okay, I've only got a couple more left. Thank you. I have two left. So Two left. I've got Saturday Night Cabin Fever. <laughs> I like it. Good. <laughs> All right. How about Raiders of the Lost Arg? <laughs> Does that work? Yeah, just about, yeah. <laughs> okay, right. uh, and I've got Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kidnapping. Nice, nice. All right, I like it. Okay. All right, and finally, the most terrifying one of them all. I only added one word to this, and I think it really makes it terrifying. Are you ready for this? I'll right, go on. Jupiter Ascending 2. <laughs> <laughs> no! You like what I did there? Because that movie's a pile of dog crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really is. So I thought, what could be more terrifying than a sequel? To so that? saying it's a pile of dog crap and uh, Channing Tatum's character's part wolf. Is that sort of time? Yeah, I know. I thought of that. Yeah. All right. You got one more for us? Uh, uh, going old school. Oh, two more. It happened one nightmare. Nice. And there will be lots of blood. <laughs> I like that. Very good. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, there you go. So that is, uh, that is what do we call this? One word, one of, word doom? of doom. One word of doom. I, I thought that was pretty fun. I enjoyed that. How about you, Phil? I, I did enjoy it, actually. Right. Some good ones there. Yeah, well, maybe uh, we'll make that an annual tradition for our Halloween episode. Oh, yeah, episodes. definitely. And if anybody out there has got more that they want to share, just uh, let us know on all the social media channels or email us, and we'll give you those details later. That's right. In fact, we did get some great suggestions for movie mashups, uh, and we're going to share those in the next episode. So keep your ears peeled for those if you submitted some to our social media channels. Yep. All right, well, now it's time for something really exciting. Uh, As you all may or may not know, uh, the popular Evil Dead horror movies have been made into a TV show on Stars, starring Bruce Campbell and a a really great supporting cast. And at this year's New York Comic Con, I was fortunate enough to be able to interview the entire cast of Ash vs. the Evil Dead. So... I thought I would share some of those with all of our listeners because they had some really great things to say about what what I think we both think is a really great show. Right, Phil? Oh, it's it's brilliant. It's funny. It's gory. It's rude. It's wrong. Bruce Campbell is amazing. I don't know how some of the lines he says shouldn't work, but because of the way he does it, they're just brilliant. Yeah. 
And you've got the likes of uh, Ray Santiago and Dana De Lorenzo, yep. uh, Lucy Lawless supporting him. It's just everyone is spot on. The effects are good. Sam Raimi's involved. It's perfect. It's everybody wants a new Evil Dead film with Ash, but this is better. It is. It really does yeah. capture the 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 tone and the feel of the films, which I think is what makes it so great. So it's yeah. like getting a bunch of movies of Ash. So I, I'm really um, enjoying it. So it was yeah. a pleasure to talk to everybody in the cast. So first up, we have one Mr. Bruce Campbell. So you've been playing this character for uh, a really long time. You get the number wrong. You, you, uh, I think you know him better than anybody. <laughs> I do. When you're, you know, spouting these ashisms in the show, are they? Are how many of them come from you, and the, you know what you know about the character, and how many of them are just from the script? It's not fair to count. <laughs> uh, we do what's best. We take the best line. Uh, we don't shoot alternates. We don't throw things at the wall and hope they stick. Over time, you just do what feels best for your gut. And uh, we try and find, follow the writer's words. And when the writers have good words, we, we follow them all. And when the words have fallen off the page a little bit, we'll help them out. We have the ability to do that. Right. As one of the executive producers, I can do that. I don't have to make a phone call anymore. Right. And that's what you do. That's what you do. That's why you're in this business for as long as you are, so that you don't have to deal with the horse shit anymore. Mm-hmm. You make a decision, and it's done, and you move on without explanation. What's the biggest difference in playing Ash week after week as opposed to just picking up and filming a movie for a couple months? Week after week is the best way to go. It's very tiring, but um, it's the way to get up to speed. That's that's Television's awesome. I, I love television. I like it more than features because you can tell a much more expansive story. You can get into characters much more. Uh, you can just go wherever the hell you want to go. Features, you got to go, okay, wrap it up, wrap it up. Getting near our hour and a half mark, and so this the stories can go ongoing. Right. Writers can go crazy. I hope they do. I hope we have a musical <laughs> episode. Why wouldn't we? Right. A lot of attention for the blood and the gore, but your character especially is involved in so much action, fighting. Yeah. Is, is, is it just completely exhausting to after? Yeah, but torn hamstring to prove it. Oh jeez. Yeah, this this year tore a hammy. Oh. But hey, you know it's for the kids. Next up, we're going to hear from Lucy Lawless. So what can we look forward to from you in season two that you can tell us about? Because I know how these A whole lot of love for Kelly and Pablo. A whole lot of love. (laughs) They they actually worm their way into her tiny walnut of a heart. (laughs) (laughs) There is one. It seems like there's something that approximates a heart. When you and Bruce met on season one, you know, you spent the first half of the season not on camera together, and then the scene where you two finally met on camera, it was like, just epic. It was these two legends coming together. What was that like? Really? Me, oh, absolutely. I don't remember it. Yeah, the happened? two of you throwing dialogue back and forth at each other, threatening each other, and then you did the whole thing with the, he tried to beat you up, and you kept turning Aww, back on him. Oh, that's so cute of you. <laughs> <laughs> was it fun to finally get to act with him on camera for the, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it was really good, but uh, it was so un, um, difficult to... You know, we didn't know if my character was good or bad or what her last name was because they hadn't decided yet right. until, like, episode nine. I'm not kidding. So I was very at sea, and I'd done the first few episodes off on my own in a car, and sometimes with Jill Marie Jones, but right. I wasn't even sure if we were tonally, are we doing the right thing? Because I hadn't even worked with those guys. We weren't on the same set. We didn't work the same days or even on the same unit, the film unit. So I had no idea what I was doing, and... Um, uh, this season, that all comes comes right. She's fully in the in the hood. 
you've played so many different kinds of roles over your career. What attracted you to, to this show? Well, working with Bruce and Rob and <coughs> staying, being at home and being able to see my children right. is... <laughs> that's a very heady cocktail right there, young man. <laughs> and now it's just pure just love with Dana and Ray are so part of my life now. So, um, yeah, we're a very happy little bunch. And with Ted, <coughs> it's a magic combo. What draws me to a role? Uh, well, Lee was talking about sometimes it's like, I want to go to Prague. I'm just going to do that. You know, sometimes it's something really stupid like that. Well, usually it's the, you, you read the script and you go, oh, I think I know how, I think I can bring something to that. And interestingly, television legend Lee Majors, who is a hero of mine from you know his roles in the Six Million Dollar Man and the Fall Guy shows I grew up on, uh, he, that's right. He came in to the show in season two as uh, Ash's father, so we got a chance to talk to him about that, which was extremely cool because. I'm a huge Lee Majors fan, and so sitting right next to him and talking to him was a, a true honor for me. That's very cool. Very Isn't jealous. It? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed that a lot. So here's Lee Majors. Hello, guys. Hi. Hello, Hello. Sir. Yes, sir. How it's are a pleasure you? to meet you. How are you? Good, good. Lee, you're a, you're a, a television legend. What, uh, what attracted you to come into the show? Well, they asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Since that's good. And then I look at location. That's good. New Zealand. And then I said, let me look at season one, some of the shows. So I, I looked at one, and I went to uh, the second show, the third show, and I went through the whole ten shows in one setting. I said, not only that, it's a half hour. It's not bad. But boy, is it funny. It's batshit crazy. <laughs> I said, i got to be a part of that. I mean, uh, I'd never seen a, uh, somebody chainsaw somebody's head off and say <laughs> such funny lines, and that, that cracked me up. It takes the horror away uh, from actually what he's doing, and so it, it's just so much fun. So with, with, the, with it being so different, all the blood and the gore and everything, has it been any kind of adjustment for you? Is it just another day at work for you? It's another day at work, but you know, it's another, another group of wonderful actors and people that I really grew to like and uh, get along with. It's just so great. The chemistry was great. They all matched up good. Those kids are great. And, and their last season was their first season in the business, more or less. You know, she said, well, you know, I was waiting on tables just before this. So it's, it's good to see them get to break and and do good and they're, they're good people uh, so we try to keep them try to train them a little bit I know Barbara Stanwyck was a disciplinary actress when I worked with her and uh, I learned very uh, early on she told me she said you know if you uh, be on time know your lines hit your mark and keep your mouth shut you go a long way so that's generally what I've done most of my career and, uh, <clears throat> the surprises was so much blood uh, yeah that was uh, even when you're watching it you can't not visualize it really good until you see the blood actually hitting you or on all the people around you and stuff. I mean, you know, you see it on the screen. It's, it's you know, it's pretty spooky or whatever, but uh, it's just uh, a lot of blood. I mean, <laughs> Dana certainly got soaked in it. The opening scene, the opening scene. I mean, I never saw so much blood. Like back in the Big Belly. Did I say that when you get shot? Yeah. You know? There'd be a bullet hole, but no blood. I mean, it might be a little trickle. And if there's more than that, it's oh, that's too much. Wipe that off. You know, you couldn't show blood back then. Yeah, I mean, so, so now it's, but uh, 
And of course, Stars is the only uh, network that this could possibly be on. Right. You know, they didn't. They wouldn't even allow them to show the uh, trailer at, at San Diego Comic Con. Wow. They wouldn't show the trailer. Was there a moment on set when you arrived where everyone's like, "Holy crap, Lee Majors just walked onto our set"? Yeah, I, I don't never understood why. Uh, <laughs> because we, I, you know, uh, I, I get very uh, embarrassed and humbled by that, and uh, I always have. I just think I just didn't did my work, and uh, I'm glad a lot of people like it. I always just go, oh, you were the one and watched it, you know, because it's, uh, it's really uh, it's great. Because you never know how shows are, or people are accepted. Uh, until lately, I've done a little more of the Comic-Con things, and, and I've gone traveling around the world a lot more, and uh, it's amazing. I didn't know that uh, there was that many people that had watched those shows, especially when the Comic-Con, some of them are, 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 are veterans that come up. You know, and say I, I joined this for because of you, or I went into technology because of the bionics, or, or whatever. As long as you had a good, good something to pass along, they picked up on. It's good. Of course, I had a lot of people break arms and jumping off a building and off the barn or whatever, and, or doing some stunt from the fall guy thing. Here, I talked to Ray Santiago and Michelle Hurd, who's a new addition to the cast in season two. How's everybody doing? Good, how are you? Great, awesome. Hello. <laughs> all right, well, let's start, let's start with you, Michelle. Uh, tell us about who you're going to be playing in the new season. Uh, well, I play Linda B., which is Ash Williams' high school sweetheart, not to be confused with uh, Linda A., who uh, came to an unseemly demise. Um, thank goodness I didn't go on that date. I, he asked me, and I said no. Um, he uh, This season, um, Ash comes, comes home. Uh, back to where he grew up, and um, he uh, starts uh, interacting with some of his old friends, his ex-girlfriend, his uh, father, played by Lee Majors, and um, his old friend, played by Ted Ramey, plays Chet, and my husband, who's the sheriff of town, they're in some uh, threesome, so there's a little problem that happened right there, um, and um, yeah, that's who I am, Linda B. And Ray, who are you playing this season? I'm just do you have any job security on this show? It seems a little like The Walking Dead, where anybody can die at any time. Um, you know, we don't. <laughs> There's no job security on any television show. That's true. Nowadays, especially. I mean, I, I always say it's the the 24 hour uh, 24 show did that, where people were like, "You're there, he's dead. Oh, there, dead." So, in all television shows, as you guys know, I'm like doing a bunch. Right? You know, there it, you never know. So, well, you never know. Somebody could come back as a deadite and have like yeah. a relationship with like you know I don't know somebody named Kelly, and then like have that whole thing going on. For me, the most important thing is um, how do I ground myself as the character and how do I ground myself into the world. Ray, did you have a hairstyle before the show or is that for the this show? This was for my life and nice. now it's for Pablo's life. I love it. I can't wait to have to shave it off. And finally, we have Dana DiLorenzo and Ted Ramey, who has also joined the cast in season two. So here are the two of them having a lot of fun talking about the show. Dana, you um, you started off as kind of a character who got sucked into things, and then you got possessed. But by the end of the first season, you were kicking ass left and right. Did you know your character was going to go on that arc? And how much fun is it to be able to just kick ass all the time? Um, I I didn't know the arc. The only thing I knew was in the uh, screen test with Sam and Bruce, um, because they had to get me saying on camera that I would be okay with 
uh, putting like plaster of Paris on my face and my claustrophobic. Um, and so when he's, it, it's great. I actually just saw the audition tape. Um, I looked so young. Um, <laughs> um, but I, uh, he asked me, he's like, you know, straight away, would you be, would you like be? 12 weeks ago? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they ate the blood, the blood. No, um, I, I, he had asked me, you know, would you be, we're thinking of, of I hadn't got the part, it's a screen test, and he said, right, we're thinking of, um, give, uh, your character getting possessed this season. I didn't even, I cut him off. I didn't even let him finish. And I put my hands in the air like this, like I just won a marathon in the middle of the screen test. Yes, that is awesome. What? Yes, whatever you say, yes. And I, and, and it, it was on my acting bucket list since I saw The Exorcist, which was like the first horror film I ever saw. So that was, um, I was I was thrilled to be able to do that, but that's only new arc-wise. Um, and it's, and I'm so thrilled um, that, that because of what Kelly's been put through, she did sort of by the end, not sort of, she did by the end prove she is, uh, she can hold her own, and I think that's a benefit to Ash. Not just that she puts him in her in his place, but that she can she can be the brains and 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 be a badass. However, at the beginning of season two, because she's so blinded by her need for revenge for what happened to her, the possession, the fork through the mother's eye. I mean, getting regurgitated from a cabin. Um, it might blind her. You know, revenge never really turns out well um, as good as it is in theory um, and so she uh, she kind of goes uh, forges her own path and you'll have to see where that leads so horror and comedy mixed together is such a hard thing to pull off well but you guys do it week after week what's the secret I just I just watch how Ted Ted does it Ted and Bruce do it because um, it is such a fine line. Uh, it is a testament to to the writers um, for for how I, I think a lot of it is the timing and and, and the the lines that they write and the, and the flow of it. But really, these two together, especially this season, um, it's not only a show within a show, but they really there's no one who does it better because you have to actually play it straight to make it funny. Right. Um, and I, I think that they both do it so well, where you have to be sincere in the role. And you have to believe that you're a, a burnout um, who's never left his hometown and laced his drinks yeah. with ketamine in order to really play it. That's so right. I think it's, that's it. Take it seriously. The they're, they're so intertwined, those two feelings. Horror and comedy are so intertwined that when you have a laugh, you also get that same sort of tickle as with a fear. And no one knew that better, I'd say, than maybe... Jacques Turneau, back in the 40s with cat people. It's, a, it's a, some weird, sexy humor in there, but then a guy named, like Alfred Hitchcock took, took it to a whole new level. And then 40 years later, Sam Raimi did what Hitchcock was doing, but added, you know, as we become nude so much in the 70s to that gore, he had had more gore. <laughs> now, uh, 30 years after that, we've got buckets and buckets of gore, because it's pretty hard to shock people now with that. But still, if you can balance that tightrope with horror and comedy, you've got something. But it's tricky. It's pretty tricky. Uh, Dana does it great. Ray does it great. I think uh, we all have are, are relatively skilled in doing that to one degree or another. But uh, but it's hard. Because if you go too far over to comedy, you've got a dumb light sitcom with blood. You go the other way, you've got a light horror movie that's funny. So it's uh, so it's tricky. Yeah, but I think, I think it works well. Brilliant. I can't believe you, might, you got to talk to all of them. Yeah, I have to say, too, they were all really cool, really down-to-earth, really fun people. And, um, you know, we, we had a really good time talking to them. It, it, was, a lot of, it was a lot of fun and just, uh, you know, such a great show, great cast. I, I, I think it's uh, – I hope it sticks around for a long time. Brilliant. Oh, yeah, well, it's got the third season's been given a go-ahead, so definitely. But, and uh, good interviews, and you, you, got the, you got the impression you all liked each other, and it's, it's always nice to know that. Absolutely, without a doubt. 
Okay, moving on then. Let's get into our top 10. Our, our This is technically our 100 years of Hollywood and 100 episodes feature, but this time, instead of picking just one year and talking about our top 10 films, we are going to talk about our top 10 horror films of the 1980s, one of the greatest decades ever, in my humble opinion. A fantastic decade uh, for films, maybe not so much the music. Yeah. Well, there's some good stuff. There's some, there's some classics, but there's yeah, there's a lot of bad stuff too. Yeah, fashion. Mm. Yeah, uh, I don't know, but some of those fashions are so bad they're good. You know, lots of good films though. Lots of really good films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was still a fun decade. Oh, really, really was. But the the films, it's so hard choosing films during the '80s because every year has lots of good ones. And trying to pick just ten from the whole decade. Oof. Yeah, it was challenging. So so because of that, we decided to leave a couple out, uh, and we're going to tell you what they are right now just so that you don't go, well, why didn't this movie make your list? So, Phil, which movies are the ones we're going to we're going to kind of veto from this list? Yes, and there, there's a reason. There's a, so you won't hear these in our list. Predator, mm-hmm. Aliens, yep. They Live, mm-hmm. and The Monster Squad. Right. Now, before you start talking, oh, wow, what? We decided not to do that because... Predator Aliens and They Live is like sci-fi action films and a bit of humor in They Live as well. And The Monster Squad is comedy, kids. And, you know, it's our rules. We can do what we want. And it just, <laughs> just means we can pick more films in our top ten. Yeah, I mean, I just thought that those four films, as much as we love them, and, and obviously I think they would have been on both of our top ten lists if we left them in. I don't oh, yeah, think there's yeah. any question about that. But none of them really truly fit into kind of the horror genre, the, the real classic Halloween horror, you know, the slashers and the ghosts and the monsters. So that's why we left those out. I just I didn't feel like they kind of really fit into that kind of definition of what you think of when you think of a horror movie. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the first Alien film I consider a horror sci-fi. Right. The second one, it's more, it's definitely you know. Action. It's like a war action, movie almost. A, yeah, action thriller sci-fi war movie yeah yeah if you disagree with us well we've already gone you can go to hell yeah 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 (laughs) kidding i'm kidding you can go to lv 426 i only say that because it's the halloween episode (laughs) if you disagree with us you can get to the chopper that's right (laughs) another really bad impression yes yeah they just they keep racking them up phil it's very impressive ask me to do another one go pick anyone uh how about uh christopher walken wow that wasn't bad, yeah. actually. Yeah. I've heard about it. He had a watch. He had a watch. <laughs> he kept it up as. Yeah, right. so uh, that was Christopher. Right. Not bad, not bad. That might actually be on the top of your list there. I, th- I think so. I've, I have. I keep trying to do a Walken. Yeah. Because I'd like. Because everybody seems to be able to do him. I, I, wow. We have here. Mm. Now see. I now you're noises. turning into like. Now you're starting to sound more like Gonzo from the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Should have let it go while you were ahead, Phil. Yeah. Damn you, Gonzo. <laughs> I think we've got off track. Maybe just a little us? No, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem right at all, Phil. That's very out of character for us. <laughs> so shall we get into this then? You, yeah, let's do it. All right. Why don't you uh, why don't you give us your number ten there, Phil? Okay, my number ten is from nineteen eighty seven and it is Bad Taste mm. by Peter Jackson. Science fiction horror comedy. Gory, nasty, very funny, and it's it's a great example of low budget filmmaking uh, because it is very cheap. Right, but it's uh, I I really like it. It's uh, watched it with some mates years and years ago. Keeps popping up every now and again, and uh, I I do like it. And it's just amazing when you watch Lord of the Rings to think he started off making bad taste. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, very good choice. Yeah, and also one little thing about it. I always remember seeing a, he was talking about it. He had he filmed it on like a clockwork camera. He had to turn it up, and I'm sure it only you'd wind it up, and it would only last for thirty seconds. So everything's thirty seconds long, and just amazing to plan it all out and do it that way. Right? Yeah, impressive. Very impressive. Yeah. So what about your number ten? 
All right. Well, my number 10 is uh, not a film a lot of people have seen, and it is Alligator, which... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's, it was actually written by John Sayles, who wrote The Return of the Sokka 7 and, uh, and The Howling, and is kind of an acclaimed you know, screenwriter. And um, it stars Robert Forster. And it's, you know, as I've said before, I love giant creature movies. And this is kind of like you think, well, it's like from 1980. It's going to be super cheesy. Um, but it's about this giant alligator that wreaks havocs, you know, on the streets of I think it's a California city. Um, yeah. But it's actually really good. Like it's a well-written script. The, the, the alligator effects are fairly, you know, good if dated. But, uh, you know, it kind of gets into that classic Jaws mold of, you know, big shark. You know, in this case, big alligator. People don't believe that it's out there until it kills a bunch of people. Um, but I just I think it's a really fun fun movie and and i really enjoy it and i think it holds up a lot better than it should so that's my number 10 no nice pick i remember watching that yeah it's uh i I like that film yeah i've not seen that in a long long time yeah it's not one i think a lot of people have seen but it's worth tracking down if you like those kind of giant monster movies yeah okay my number nine is from 1981 it's a slasher film directed by tony malum and it is the burning interesting uh which is yeah, I, I always quite like oh, the... Oh, I have uh, seen that movie. That's a good flick. Yeah, it's the guy with, you know, it's Cropsy with the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The garden shears, yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, that's a good uh, movie. Always enjoyed it. It's uh, quite... It's got some good kills in it. Got the... It's it's one of the, you know, there's lots of them with, the, you know, the kids at the camp. But uh, my friend Pete, he's, uh, he's just got... It's just been re-released on a, you know, remastered and everything. He just watched it again. And he made an excellent point when I was talking to him the other night. He was saying it. it's good because these camp ones, you actually care about the kids in it. And because often you don't, often they're just nasty kids and you're going oh i'm glad they're dead but this one yeah you, you care about them it's got some i said some good kills and the the legend of cropsy is quite good and just when you see the garden shears and what he does with them oof, yeah. but yeah, yeah good film yeah i like that one good choice i think it's got jason alexander in as well uh, yeah it does a young jason yeah. alexander yeah a couple other i think there's a couple other people who went on to become kind of known if i'm not mistaken yeah. oh holly hunter's in it as well that's right that's it yep. yeah yeah good one good excellent okay all right well my second film number nine is from 1987 and it is called prison and it stars vigo mortensen a young vigo mortensen and lane smith and it was directed by rennie harlan it was the film he made right before he made nightmare on elm street four uh, and it's a very little seen movie. It's about a prison that is haunted by a former inmate who was execute, executed in the electric chair. Okay. Um, but it's a really cool kind of like, you know, it's sort of that classic story. It's like not the haunted and like there's ghosts floating around, but haunted, whereas, you know, people start, keep dying under mysterious circumstances. And, you know, it, they, the prisoners kind of die off one by one and that type of thing. And uh, it's just it's a really fun movie. Uh, you can definitely see some flashes of Rennie Harlan's great directing chops. And it has a, an excellent climax in how they sort of solve the problem of this you know this spirit in the prison and uh, I, I just really liked it it was one of those movies I discovered kind of by accident when it came out on Blu-ray a year or two ago and I was like oh, yeah. that looks fun and I watched it and it was really good so Prison uh, is my number nine I know I've never seen it but I'm not sure if I've even heard of it yeah it's really I'm, obscure must, yeah. it really is I'm, I'm not quite sure why because it does have like I said it has Viggo Mortensen it was Rennie Harlan but uh, it's definitely worth tracking down I'll, have to ch- I'll check out some stuff on YouTube to see if it rings any bells right uh, my number eight is from 1981 and it is an american werewolf in london excellent choice directed by john landis stay on the path don't go into the moors we all know the story jenny agatha in the shower yep uh, rick baker's amazing special effects one of the best transformation effects on camera it's just that was stunning uh great film it probably would have been higher just from the fact i've seen it so many times right i was i'm actually surprised it made your list just because i know that it's a movie you're a little burned out on we've talked about yeah well i was before. i was it, it didn't initially but then i thought about it and was going no it's good for, it was one of the ones which, uh, the first films which gave me nightmares. So it's got to go in. Right. There you go. But yeah, that's number eight. 
All right. Well, my number eight is a movie I talked about last week, so I'm going to keep it short. It is Leviathan, <laughs> um, which, as I've said, probably shouldn't even be on this list. It's not a great <laughs> movie, but I have a soft spot for it. So, so there it is. Yeah. And that's all I need to say because I talked about it last week at length. So very good. Okay. My number seven is it's another one based on a Stephen King book, but it's not the one you're thinking of. This one is The Dead Zone from 1983. Excellent choice. Directed by David Cronenberg and starring Christopher Walken. Oh, Christopher wow. Walken. How funny is that? Wow. We had a watch. Tom Skerritt, Herbert Lom. And it was a few years ago, it was made into a TV series as well. But it's about a school teacher, uh, Johnny Smith, played by Walken. He's uh, in an accident. He wakes from a coma and he has psychic powers. So when he touches people, he sees the death or the future and what they're going to do. And he ends up shaking hands with a guy who's running for president and sees what's going to happen. Yeah. And it's excellent. Well acted to some Christopher Walken. I mean, he's always he can be really spooky and he does it really well. But he's the good guy in this, and it's yeah, it's really it's a good film. David Cronenberg as well. But there's not so much body horror in this one. But it's uh, it's well worth checking out if you haven't seen it. Absolutely, I agree. Oh, hold on, it's uh, who's the Martin Sheen? Yeah, of course, Martin Sheen's the guy running for president. Right. I know you went on to be a wonderful president in the West Wing. Yeah, see, so, so Christopher Walken was clearly wrong because it worked out yeah, just fine when he got yeah, in office. Yeah, he should have he should have shook his hand again. <laughs> All right, well, my number seven is uh, a humongous cheat, uh, I'm going to say, because it's... You it, better not say aliens or predators. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but it is a tie, so that's already a cheat. Um, and I cheated doubly because it is a tie between the entire franchises of Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, I, I knew you'd have Friday the 13th in there somehow, but I wasn't sure which one you'd do, so I'll allow it. And that's sort of why. Because on the whole, the individual Nightmare on Elm Street and, and Friday the 13th movies are varying in quality. Yeah. I mean, I, I do yeah. think that of the Friday the 13th, I think the fourth and the sixth ones are the best. And I, I think, obviously, the first Nightmare on Elm Street is the best. But honestly, I don't know that there's one film out of the entire two franchises that I would point to as like, this is my movie. You know, like, this is the movie that I love the most. Yeah. You're right. I, I like the franchises because they're fun and they're slashers, you know, but I like them more kind of as a whole, as the idea. And I like bits and pieces from each film than I really love any one individual movie. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it there with those films. Yeah. So, so that's the kind why. of ones you can you can put any of them on and have a laugh with your friends watching them. Right. Right. Enjoy some of the kill. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, it just... it's not like I have that go-to where it's like, oh man, the original Friday the Thirteenth is so great because it's it's you know it's good, but it doesn't even have Jason in it. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah, it's you know, different, it's, isn't it? It definitely is. Um, you know, they all have their weak moments. So, like I said, so that's a tie, and I use the entire franchises from the eighties, and that's sort of how I did it. So, okay, no, I'll yeah, I'll allow it. I appreciate that. So let's get my uh, my number six is Prince of Darkness, nineteen eighty-seven. Uh, directed, written, and scored by John Carpenter, who I'm going to see next week as he's doing his music tour. Can't wait for that. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah, it's the second installment in his Apocalypse trilogy. Uh, there may be some other mention of a film of his maybe later on. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. People who know me yeah. won't be surprised. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm talking about Elvis. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, Prince of Darkness, that's the one with the, uh, the people go to uh, church and there's a liquid container in the basement which is apparently satan and a woman keeps getting dreams from the future uh it's really good it's got donald pleasantson it's got some good kills it's got what's his name oh yeah alice cooper yeah yeah alex cooper's in it and it's it's good it's dark it's it's unsettling uh and it's got good use of a mirror yes yes indeed. yeah 
Yeah, yeah it's uh, Prince of Darkness. A, a film I like very much, actually. Didn't make my list, but only because I haven't seen it in a long time. With a lot of these, I sort of felt like if I'd seen them more recently, I could have rearranged the order of my yeah, list, yeah, you know? Yeah. But I do like that movie quite a bit, for yeah. sure. I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure there's films I've forgotten about. Right. Didn't do this list, but yeah. 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 Okay. Well, that happens. That's what next year's for. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, my number six is The Lost Boys. Starring, I think we all know, Kiefer Sutherland, The Corys, Jason Patrick. Uh, you know, it's vampires, teen vampires. And I struggled with this one because I, it is kind of a comedy as well. Mm. But I think it has enough horror elements in it. You know, some of the vampire scenes are Michael, pretty intense. Michael, Michael. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's creepy. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. Um, I love this movie. It, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a piece of my childhood. Um, you know, as, as I've mentioned in the past, I, I'm a big fan of the, the Corys, you know, from when I was growing up. And, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, it's Joel Schumacher back when he was talented, before he was doing Batman <laughs> movies. Yeah. And uh, I think a lot of people in, you know. In Tigerland, sort of, Joel Schumacher's Tigerland, brilliant film. Yeah, yeah, what absolutely. Happened? He had those bad films, made Tigerland and then more bad films. Right, exactly. How, how? Um, but I, I do think that uh, if you're of a certain age, Lost Boys is just sort of an indelible piece of your childhood. So yes, my definitely. It's another one I love. Didn't make my list, though, because there's so many other good films. Okay, my number five is 1986 films directed by Robert Harmon, uh, starring Rocky Howard and C. Thomas Howell, and it is The Hitcher. Ah, yes. Yes. Uh, young uh, C. Thomas Howell, he's driving across the USA, shaved his legs. and No, that's uh, that's a song. He <laughs> ends up picking up a hitchhiker played by Rocky Howard, and it turns out that the hitcher is a serial killer, a psycho, or some dark force of nature. Uh, I just, I think it's a brilliant film. It's just the way it's done. It's all in the desert. Rucker Howard is chilling, and you you think it's going one way, and it doesn't. And I, I I've seen it a few, so many times. I'm still not sure whether Rucker Howard's character is meant to be human or if he is some sort of thing from you know, dredged up from hell, right. who uh, wanders the, the highways of America. Yeah, interesting. But it's it's a great film, and I want to have a decent Blu-ray of it because it hasn't been released, and I don't know why. Well, I'm sure it's in the works somewhere. Yeah, but that's, uh, that's my number five. All right, very good. Well, my number five is Gremlins. Uh, and I think uh, for I mean, another one that I sort of struggled with because kind of a comedy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, scary enough. Uh, I know it freaked me out a little bit as a kid, and... Uh, but it's classic. I mean, I just I love I love the Gremlins movies so much, and I, you know, I'm obviously last week I had uh, you know Gizmo showing up in my after the ending, yeah, <laughs> for Hellboy two. So you know, it's just it's a great film. It's really fun. It's got so many funny moments, but the, the Gremlins themselves are definitely scary, and they work really well. The, you know, the effects hold up even thirty years later. I think uh, you know these animatronic Gremlins running around. Oh, it's it's it certainly does hold up because uh, my my daughter saw it a few years ago, and it's uh, it creeped her out. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. It's funny because Gremlins 2 is one – like Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, I actually like Gremlins 2 better than the first one because it's so funny and they went such a different, weird, yeah. twisted They just went comedic. all out, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I love the humor in Gremlins 2. But again, to me, that's a comedy, not a horror. But I think the first one still qualifies. So yeah. that's my I'll pick. allow it. Okay. My number four, it's a remake of a 1957 short story and film. It's The Fly, another David Cronenberg film. Right. stars Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis, and John Getz. Guy, eccentric scientist, who's surprisingly played by Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, shocking. Uh, uh, he builds a teleporter. He goes into it. A fly goes into it. Boom. Bits fall off him. Yeah, there you go. That's all he needs to know, really. <laughs> That's the fly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great film. Well acted. It's quite funny. Uh, it's quite gory. Great, as we mentioned last week in our Mighty Morphin mini feature, great uh, prosthetics and practical effects. Indeed. All right, well, my number four is The Stepfather. 
starring Terry O'Quinn. A uh, little little seen film, although they did make it. They did remake it a few years ago. Yeah, um, no, I, I remember the original one. Yeah. The remake was 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 crap, but the original yeah. film stars Terry O'Quinn as basically this guy who's like a kind of a psycho, but he <laughs> plays like a nice guy. And you know, he 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 you know meets a woman, falls in love, but the teenage daughter is like something's up with him. And then of course people start dying under mysterious circumstances. And it's uh, like I said, sort of this little scene film, but man, it's really really good. Like it holds up really well. It's it's intense and it's scary. It's that very sort of classic kind of you know hand the rocks the cradle type story. But I think it's yeah. like the prototypical one, and I, and I do think it's really good. And Terry O'Quinn is just, I mean, he's fantastic in the I, lead. I, I like him in everything he's in. Yeah, I do. Too. Too. I do too, but he's really great in this movie, and I do think it's just a really cool film. And I think that when you watch it and you see it's from the '80s, you expect it to be cheesy, and it's not cheesy at all. And it's 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 good, it's intense. So that's my number four. I know I've seen it, but it must have been around about the the '80s. I saw it. Right, right. Yeah, I must watch. I'll have to watch it again. Yeah, it's definitely worth it. It's a good film. Cool. Okay, so we're now in our top three. Yes, and we'll see if things start to align here. Hmm. Uh, I honestly, well, there might be some mentioned. It all depends if it will be the same ones, but let's see. Okay, my number three is another Stephen King film. This one is from 1980, and it is The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, and starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, and Scatman Crothers. We've, people listening, you've probably all seen it, but it's... Uh, the Shining, huh? I've never heard yeah. of it. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's about this kid. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. He, does, he, he likes red rum. Yes, yes. Yeah. Don't we all? Yeah, but it's... Uh, no, it's it's an excellent movie. Stephen King wasn't a fan, right? But it's very well made, supremely well acted, very scary, and it's my number three. Very good choice. Didn't make my list actually. I think I guess some people might consider sacrilegious. Uh, I know it's Stanley Kubrick and, and Jack Nicholson. Obviously, we know how I feel about Jack Nicholson. Maybe that's something to do with it. I do like the film. I like it very mm-hmm. much. It's mm-hmm. just it's not one of those movies I find that I can watch very often. You know, like I, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it maybe twice. That's kind of enough for me. I'll probably watch it again at some point in the future. But it's just not one of those movies that I, for me, that I feel the need to ever kind of go back and rewatch. So that's why I didn't make my list. But it is a good film. I do respect it. Yeah. Well, fair enough. That's why we're doing these lists. They're going to be different. That's and it's right. always good to get to makes it interesting. different viewpoints. Yep. Uh, but uh, I, I didn't think your list would have The Stepfather in and not The Shining, though. Well, there you go. See, I like yep. to keep people guessing. Yeah, keep them guessing. Yeah. Very good. All right, well, let's see if I can uh, not keep people guessing with this one. My number three pick, and it is Halloween 2. I'm a huge fan of the Halloween movies. I am a big fan of Michael Myers. Halloween itself is probably my all-time favorite horror movie. Um, The only reason it's not on this list is because it came out in the 70s. Yes. But I love the first movie. Like I said, it's probably probably my favorite horror film of all time. Um, And the second one, even though it's not directed by John Carpenter, he did produce it. And it was directed by, I think, the assistant director of the first film. And uh, But it picks up right after the events of Halloween. It's like the, it's kind of like the day after, you know, how we do our day after in the ending. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's not as good as the first one, but to me, it's still a really worthy sequel. I think it captures most of the feel of, you know, it still has that Michael Myers is just this silent, hulking killer who just, you know, you just see him standing at the end of a hallway and you're automatically creeped out. You're automatically yeah, that's, scared. That's the great thing about Michael Myers. He yeah. just he can just stand there. He's not I mean it's not like Jason who sort of. He sometimes stands there, but often then he just starts running at you. Right, right. Swinging it's just, his machete it's just the, and, you know. Yeah. Right, but exactly. Michael Myers just stands there 
and then walks slowly towards you, then disappears and then turns up behind you yes. and sticks you with a machete. Yeah, and you die horribly. So, yeah. you know, I know that they increase the gore a little bit in this one and stuff, you know, but I, I like the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis is in it and it really picks up right afterwards. Uh, and to me... It's, it's a proper sequel, though, really, isn't it? Exactly. That's exactly yeah. what I like about it. It's just, it is it is a direct continuation of the first film. And, you know, I, I, I really love it. It's I think it's a great film. So uh, that's Good my stuff. number three. It didn't make my uh, my list, but neither did the third one. But I watched Halloween three season of the Witch again the other week. Yeah, it's a good film uh, actually, and I, I always I always like that. It often gets slated, but I, well, I, I really mean, like I think it. it gets slated because it's just not what people wanted. Yeah. you know, I mean, people they, wanted. They could have called it something else, yeah, because it isn't really related. But right, it's not at all related, you know, for the most yeah. part. But it is a good film as a standalone movie. It's actually really good. It's just mm. not what people wanted to see from that franchise. Definitely, yeah, it was always a bit odd that they called it Halloween three. Mm-hmm. I could never figure it out. I was always expecting at least something to tie in. Yeah. And maybe mention on the mu- news about Michael Myers has been killing people against something like that, but there's nothing. No, it's a strange one in that respect, but mm. it uh, it's still a good film, though. I, I do like it quite a bit. Yeah. Okay, my number two is Evil Dead 2. Excellent choice. Thank you. And uh, Sam Raimi, this was 1987. The Evil Dead was out in 1981, but I prefer Evil Dead 2, to be honest. I, th- I think most people do. Yeah, it's... Uh, it just because it's pretty much a remake of Evil Dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a bit, it's a bit different in places and everything, but it's got, it's uh, got Bruce Campbell getting Ash Williams just right. We've got uh, creepy effects. It's funny. It's gory. It's nasty. Uh, it's a great film, and then it leads nicely into Army of Darkness. Right. But uh, no, I, I love it. Evil Dead Two, and that's my number two. All right. Well, my number two is not Evil Dead Two. Believe it or not, mm. uh, uh-huh. and it's not because it's my number one. It's actually not on my list, uh, which I'm sure people are screaming in outrage as as I speak. <laughs> but I like Evil Dead Two a lot. But really, for me, when it comes to the Evil Dead franchise, Army of Darkness is where it's at, um, and that's because I just I love the humor of the yeah. films, and I, to me, the third one really nails that. The second one is fun; it's enjoyable. Um, it's just one of those films that I, you know, like I said, I like it. I, I do. I have a good, you know, I, I enjoy all the Evil Dead movies, but I, I don't, I don't know. It's just not one of my favorite, favorite movies. You know, if I'm going to watch an Evil Dead movie, I always go to Army of Darkness. Yeah, it, it's, it is a good film, Army of Darkness. Yeah, it's so great. I'm, I'm just laughing thinking about it. Yeah, so <laughs> so it, believe it or not, it didn't make my list. It was on my short list, but it got eked out, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So my number two is a film that I'm surprised isn't on your list, actually, and it is The Fog by John Carpenter. Mm. And, uh, oh, that doesn't sound good. Are you not a fan? No, no, that's, oh. no I am a fan. Oh, okay. It's just, it's a... Uh... Well, go on. You, you talk well, about this. I, I love this movie. I'll, I'll be honest. I, I absolutely love it. I think it's so creepy. I love the way they do so much with just this fog, and then there's these you know pirate ghosts and stuff. And I guess it could be seen by cheesy as some people, but I, I love Adrian Barbeau. You know, just being this voice on the radio, and you know the fog that's coming in across the bay. You know, she's trying to warn people, and um, yeah, I just you know it's one of those films where. I saw it a long time ago, and I, you know, it was after I'd seen Halloween for the first time, and I was yeah. kind of, you know, I'd always liked John Carpenter, but I didn't really start seeing horror films until a little later. I didn't grow up with a lot of horror films. I started watching them more in my twenties, and so I tracked this one down, and I watched it, and I just, I just think it's so cool. I, I just really like everything about this film, that the atmosphere and the look of it, and you know, it, I, I, I don't know, I just love it. I just think it's great, and I love John Carpenter, so it's my number two. It is a it's a great movie, good movie, but it's it's never there's always I'm not never quite sure what it is about it. It never quite it's, it's maybe uh, some something in the middle. It just never quite comes together for me. Right, right. Because I love I love the opening when you just see all like uh, the lights start going on and electricity's all going a bit funny and then the fog coming in and things like that. I mean those bits work really well, but I don't know. I've never quite figured out what it is. Huh. 
Okay. It, it's uh, I mean, I love when I watch it. I always enjoy it. But you know, when I was doing my list, it's it's, it's hovering just outside the yeah. list. Well, that's how I feel about Evil just, Dead too. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing. There's just there's just something about it which never quite gels with me, right. and I've never been able to quite put my finger on what it is. That's fair. I I, I know that feeling well. I have that with movies yeah. a lot, and you know, I, yeah. it's hard when you don't know how to explain what it is about it. Um, but I can I can totally respect that. So yeah. Okay, but uh, I think I think <laughs> I think we're going to be on the same page for our number one film. But uh, I will let you be the the one to reveal your pick for number one. Okay, my number one film is Aliens. Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> that was no. cheating. Yes, yeah. No, my number one film is if you follow me on Twitter. Well, if you know me anyway, yeah, you'll know. It's uh, the thing. John Carpenter's the thing, which is, uh, in my opinion, the best film ever <laughs> ever 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 yeah it's uh well I, I, I will end the suspense very quickly it is also my number one i i do think it is at least one of the greatest films ever i don't i i've never gone so far as to rank my number one film of all time well my number one film of all time is casablanca so yeah so to me maybe the thing is number two but uh i, I do agree i mean i do think it's one of the greatest films of all time it's easily hands down the best horror film of the 80s by far yeah so 1982 absolutely brilliant yeah starring the mighty Kurt Russell with his excellent beard and that giant hat. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. And well, Wilfred Brimley, Richard Dysar, Keith David, oh, everyone, everybody in there, if I've not mentioned you, even Jed as the dog thing, yep. you're just all brilliant. And it's got the amazing special effects by uh, Rob Boutin. It's just stunning, stunningly good. Uh, and it's all, also a good one to, you know, people say, oh, no, remakes are all rubbish. You just go, boom, the thing. There you go. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, and it's a diff- It's a remake of a very, you know, a, a much lesser known film from the fifties. Yes, and obviously nineteen fifty one. Yeah, is very different. But uh, man, boy, the the thing that the John Carpenter the thing is just a brilliant film. The special effects are amazing. It's so scary and so intense, and it's gross and grotesque, but not in a way that makes you, you know, like some movies are gross and you just want to take a yeah, shower after yeah. watching them. You know, this isn't one like that. It's just, it's just so. You know, you're just trying to take it all in. And, you know, the scene with the blood tests and everything is so oh, good. Oh, classic. And, it's, and the ending is brilliant. I mean, it really is just an amazing film on every level. And also one of the most frightening scenes is when Blair, you know, he's on the computer. And I'm not saying it's frightening because of the computer graphics. <laughs> right. But when he's, uh, he's, you know, plotting the course of the virus, the thing, yep. the alien. Uh-huh, thing, uh-huh. And he realizes they're all doomed and yeah. the world's doomed if he gets out. Yeah. And he just, you know, he just, the look on his face. Yeah. Honestly, the, the computer graphics are the only thing that dates it. Then that's computer graphics yeah. on a computer screen. There is no CGI in this movie because it was before that. Yeah. And so while some people might think it looks dated, it doesn't because all the effects are so good and they're so real yeah. that the movie holds up really well without dating. Like you said, except for that computer equipment, it's, it, you know, you watch it today and you'd think it, you could, it could have been made in the past decade easily, you know? Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it looks so good. I mean, there's, I know there's a new version being released, remastered one, but the Blu-ray I've got from a few years ago, it's just, it look, you put it on, it looks like it was made yesterday. Right, right. It exactly. just looks, it looks amazing. Yeah. It just the fact, everything about it, you know, the mise en scene and, you know, the, the exterior scenes as well. And, oh, just, and I, I remember seeing it for the first time. I, d- I didn't know anything about it. It was right, in right. the 80s, obviously. Yep. When, whenever it came on TV, I was looking through the channels late one night and it was the bit where the dogs, near the start still, but the dog was just walking through the, you know, the camp. Yeah. Yeah. And I was going, what, what's this? Uh-huh. And then he puts it into the, you know, the cage. And then I was going, what the hell is this? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it's brilliant. Absolutely. 
Yeah, very good. All right, well, that is an excellent pick for number one, Phil. As as I expected, we are on the same page on that one. If you have not seen The Thing by any chance, please do yourself a favor and go watch it before Halloween. It is the best horror movie. I mean, it it, it is the perfect film to watch this Halloween season or any time of yeah. year, really. Yeah, and uh, we will be doing an after the ending for it at some point. Yeah. But uh, Yeah, we're going to save that um, one for a special episode, I think, yeah. though. Yeah, but it's we coming. Do, it's we, coming. We should do an after the ending with the the thing in Casablanca. <laughs> right, that's like our holy grails, right? Good God. Except I don't know. I, I still feel like I, I I you know I've laid down this rule that we're never going to do Casablanca. Yeah, so I, know. I know. I don't know. I know. We'll see what happens. Maybe one day. Oh, we could do we could do an after the ending where Casablanca and the thing mash up. Oh, there you go. Yeah, right. <laughs> that could be fun. Maybe for maybe we'll do that for a special episode. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right, so there you go. That is our top 10 horror films of the 80s. That was a really fun list to put together. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Very much so. So hopefully uh, these will give you some things, some ideas. If you're listening to this before Halloween, we tried to drop it early enough that you'd be able to listen to it before Halloween. Hopefully it will give you some ideas as to some movies you can check out if you're tired of seeing the same old horror movies uh, for your Halloween viewing. Yeah, and if you've got – if you want to share your top 10 horror movies from the 1980s, you can let us know. Uh, I'm sure you'll agree or disagree on a few of the films. And we'd love to hear from you. Yes, you can do that through all of our social media channels as well as our email address, which is afterthending at verizon.net. Okay, so Phil, let's, uh, I think it's time we can uh, wrap this, this special Halloween episode up. Why don't you tell people what we have in store next week when we return to our regularly scheduled programming? Okay, well, the films we'll be doing after the ending, you heard us talk about Army of Darkness. We're not doing that one, but... It does have Klaatu, Veratu, Nictu in it. We are doing the original, The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's the black and white one, you know, the good one. Yeah, not the Keanu Reeves disaster. Yeah. What were they thinking? I have no idea. So we're doing The Day the Earth Stood Still, and also we're doing an Adam Sandler film. Our don't first, turn off our just first yet. Sandler film. Yeah. Did you say don't yeah. turn it off just yet? Yeah, don't turn off just yet. Don't change that dial. We're going to be doing Happy Gilmore, which is the one that even if you don't like Adam Sandler, you like Happy Gilmore. Yeah, yeah, it's a great film. So that should be a fun double feature. And then we're also going to be tackling what year? Uh, 1930. Right, so we'll be getting back to our regular 100 years of Hollywood, and we'll be doing 1930. Yes, and there'll be a Mighty Morphin mini feature, yes, but you'll have to listen next time to see what that is. Exactly. All right, well, on that note then, I hope you have enjoyed this uh, spooktacularly special Whoa. Halloween <laughs> extravaganza. Uh, we certainly had fun putting it together, I think. Didn't, don't you, Phil? All right. Yes. Really, really lots of fun. Good to talk about the horror movies. I'm sure people have been blown away by the impressions as well. Oh, absolutely. They'll be talking yeah. about those for months to come. Yeah, watch. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, for sure, then, it is time to finish this off. As always, we would like to thank you very much for listening, for spreading the word about the podcast, for leaving reviews on iTunes. Hint, hint. Good reviews. Uh, yes, please. please. Uh, and so uh, for now I am Mike Spring and I'm Phil Edwards and we'll see you next week after the ending testing testing one two three check one check two welcome back Cotter <laughs> I don't know why I said that welcome back is that that uh, John Travolta thing yeah what, is that? what do you mean is that that John Travolta thing you don't you, like welcome back Cotter it's like I've, a piece of my childhood I've heard of it like, I don't know if it was ever shown over here uh, it's the Sweat Hogs, man. Arnold Horshack and the Sweat Hogs. I've never seen it. Nothing? I've never seen it. I've oh, heard of it. Me, I know of it, but I've never seen it. You're killing me. Killing me. <laughs> Welcome back. Nothing? Nothing. Oh, all right. I guess I'll keep doing this podcast with you. <laughs> all right. So Carrie White, played by Sissy, Sissy Space Tech, is not the easiest name to say. I'm just going to say that. No, no. So both of us sort of, we, I ended Carrie with sort of a end of the, no, I'm sorry. I ended, let me do it again.
So both of us kind of, you know, I, I ended uh, the the God. What's it called? Jesus, Kevin in the woods. Thank you. <laughs> you know the one we did about ten minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kipping. Kipping. What the <laughs> what? Nothing. I didn't say it right. Okay. Yes. Yeah. For, yes. Yeah, I'll just say yes a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a great decade, not just for movies, yeah. just all around. It was a lot of fun. I'm still saying yeah. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, and also, also just, uh, it looks like Doug Jones actually left as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, special thanks to uh, to Doug Jones for his, yeah. uh, for his contributions as always. Yes. Hi, I'm Doug Jones, and I live for films. Thanks, Doug, for, you know, being a good top bloke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love Doug Jones. Thanks, thanks to yeah. Doug Jones. He'll be our he'll be our official mascot from now on. <laughs> All right. So in that case, then, as always, we thank you very much for listening and for spreading the word about the show and for leaving reviews on iTunes. Hint, hint. Uh, <laughs> until next week, then. I am Mike Spring, and I'm Phil Edwards, and we'll see. And I did it again. Dang it! <laughs> uh, first Halloween special. First ending has to be done again. You're just going for the ultimate, uh, I've forgotten what I was going to say. <laughs> the ultimate blue pass. Yeah, that's what it is. That's what I want, for sure. I don't have enough of them. Try the fish. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be here all week. <laughs> I'm not going to redo it, but it is kind of funny because I said, and, you know, for now I'm Mike Spring, as if yeah. later I'm somebody else. You know what I mean? <laughs>